from Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Welcome. This is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Today, we turn to Psalm 103. We'll take a look at the first 22 verses of this passage in a message called The Celebration of His Grace and the Forgiveness of Our Sins. Have you ever stopped to think that as your sins are forgiven, it celebrates grace? That's not to say we go out in sin so that grace might be celebrated, as Paul is close to quoting, but it does suggest to us that there is a gracious God that we serve. With more, here's Pastor Jessica Stan on today's broadcast of Way of Grace. We have come to recognize that what God has done with this thing called the forgiveness of sins is to give us a framework by which God might preserve fellowship among us with himself. It's what forgiveness is all about. God keeping his promise to be with us always, even to the end of the world. But in order for a holy God to be able to dwell with sinful people, he must produce out of his infinite wisdom a framework to do it. That framework for preserving fellowship with God is the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to talk to you about five aspects of that next week, and I really want it to come home to you. When you get the forgiveness of sins, what you get is freedom to grow in your walk with God. Where your understanding of forgiveness is diminished or limited or distorted, you will have a hard time being real with God, and God has saved you to be real with him. Your Bible fills your ears with promises after promises after promises of God's faithfulness in your life. Is that right? The only thing that impedes those promises is our behavior in our own eyes and our conduct and our thinking. You know, we think raggedy, don't we? And what we do with the sort of raggedy, unperfected state that we're in is we actually judge our walk with God based on our walk. And we fail to be able to derive from God all of the blessings that God has for us relative to the forgiveness of sins. What I want to do with Psalm 103 to help you really appreciate the author of the psalm and the content of the psalm and the aim of the psalm is actually addressed in three frameworks, three categories for our men in homiletics class. You will get this. The writer of this particular psalm is King David. And what David has done has crafted words in Psalm 103 in a way by which when you look at it carefully, there are three parts. It opens up with what we call exhortation. Exhortation. And then it moves into a second category called exposition, exposition. And then it closes in what we call exaltation. And when I teach our men how to teach and how to preach, what we teach is how to expound God's word after exegeting God's word. Exegesis is the labor of understanding what it means. Exposition is the labor of explaining it to you. And in the process of exposition, what we do is we exhort you to look to Christ while we exalt the Christ we look to. Exegesis, exposition, exhortation, and exaltation. You'll see that that's exactly how David did Psalm 103. But for purposes for which I want you to actually benefit from the psalm, we're actually going to start in reverse. 
And the reason is we're going to start at the end of Psalm 103 is because David lets us know in the opening of the psalm who his primary target is. And when he lets us know who his primary target is, he then later on down the line in the hymn shares with us the larger targeted audience. It's way down the line. And the reason for which David does this in Psalm 103 is to teach us something about how worship leaders are to prepare themselves to lead the people of God in worship. You see, there are two things about David's life that God loved. Remember, David was a man after what? And here's the reason why. David was a warrior for God's glory, and he was a worshiper for God's honor. David was a warrior worshiper, warrior worshiper, warrior worshiper. And get this, child of God, every believer is a warrior worshiper. The whole of the Christian life is a warfare. And the whole of the Christian life is worship. So that you worship because there's a warfare that's been won on your behalf. But you also worship in order to engage that warfare more effectively. When you go away from worship adequately, you are more equipped to deal with the warfare out there. So the people of God are called militant people, as well as triumphant people, because we are worshipful people. And the way I want to help you see it is to show you how David prepares his heart. Now, you guys know David was king in Israel, right? And so as king, he had the privilege of also being the sweet psalmist. That means he had the right to lead Israel in worship. In fact, he wrote the majority of the hymns or the psalms for the worship, for the worship of the priests and the Levites, as you guys might know. And what we have in Psalm 103 is a glorious worship service. I'm calling this a total worship experience. And I hope the Holy Ghost will lead you into that as we unpack it. David is the quintessential worship leader. Do you know what that means? David has never ever worshiped God merely out of a sort of perfunctory entertainment mode. David didn't try to manipulate the people into feeling good or praising God. In other words, David, as a true worship leader, did not come out front and begin to, as it were, pontificate to get you pumped up. Y'all know how a lot of churches work to pump you up, pump you up, pump you up. Ladies and gentlemen, being pumped up is totally different than being edified. Being pumped up is totally different than being edified. When you're pumped up, you don't even really know why you're pumped up. Just a bunch of noise. Bunch of noise. When you are edified, it's because you have been brought progressively into the presence of God, Coram Deo, by an exposition of God's word for which the Spirit of God takes and endorses it in your heart. When God brings you into worship, Everything begins to narrow in on, watch this now, an audience of one. Even though our seats will be filled with people, when you are really worshiping God, no one else is present but you and God. And therefore, very few people worship God when they come to church. Now, hear me now. When worship is done right, 
There is a drawing into the presence of God. We call it what? Coram Deo. And, and you become very much aware, watch this, that you are not God's audience. God is your audience. We come before him and we worship him as the object of our affection. So as we unpack this psalm, I want you to remember a legitimate, a grace-filled, spirit-aided worship leader first gets his own heart right. And then he helps the people of God get their heart right. Verse 1, bless the Lord all my soul. Not my flesh, my soul. Now watch this. And all that is within me. Not just my intellect, but my emotions and my volition, watch this now, and my hands and my feet and my loins and the whole of my being is now worshiping God. Did you get it? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Is that not what verse 1 says? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then what David does is he says it again. Bless the Lord, O my what? Now watch this now. And then he says it again at the last verse of Psalm 103. Here it is. Watch it. You see it. Do you not? Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Here it is. Bless the Lord. What? Oh, my soul. Now, you need to learn something about this term bless. It's used repeatedly in the Psalms and all throughout the Old Testament, some 33 times. This word really means to kneel down in utter prostration before God in veneration. It's literally translated to kneel down. Let us worship before the Lord our God and kneel before God our maker. Remember that song? Let us kneel before the Lord our God. That's the same word. And it's the idea of prostration in your soul. It's the unfettered, the uninhibited freedom to acknowledge God in his sovereignty. That's what David is doing. Can I tell you what really is going on here? One king is worshiping another king. That's what's going on here. So let's begin to unpack this psalm and show you that this psalm is the quintessential model of leading the people of God into true Christian worship. Okay, so we have three major points. Under point number one, the key to true what? Worship. The key to true worship. And that's found for us in verse 19 and following of Psalm 103. Are you there? Listen to what it says. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Do you see that? Here's what David says to you and me. When you worship God, you must worship God as a sovereign Lord. When you worship God, you must see him and depict him as a sovereign Lord. Look what David says. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the what? Ladies and gentlemen, I've said it before. You have not met God until you met him in his sovereignty. You have met, not met the true God until you depict him as a king who is sovereign on his throne, ruling everything. 
This is very much what is meant by the word Yahweh, our Lord. He is the sovereign one. Now, if that be true, if the real view of God by God's people is that he is a majestic king, a sovereign Lord, a majestic ruler, does it not only follow appropriately that we kneel before him? Kneel before him. Kneel before his majesty. Kneel before his sovereign. Bow before the king. Bow before your glorious Lord and Savior. You see how important the right attitude of the heart is in worship? And what I love about David is David never had a problem bowing his knee to the true king, even though he was the king in Israel. How blessed was Israel for their king to bow the knee to the true king as a model for everybody else. And yet I'll tell you, very few of us bow the knee in prayer, let alone worship. And I'll tell you why. You really don't see God as a sovereign king. In 21st century Christianity, God's just a buddy, an ethereal partner, a mystic helper, a kind of peon companion. Am I making some sense? And thus you don't bow. What David does is bow before a sovereign Lord as a mediator to the people of God because whatever the leaders do, the people will do. And so in true worship, you and I must understand we are coming before the presence of his glory, before the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's verse 19. And what does David do from that position of opening the, the veil in exaltation of God's sovereign Sovereign rule, he calls the angels now to worship God. Look at verse 20. Are you there? Bless the Lord, ye his what? Now, did David see God or what? See, David not only had a real clear understanding of the physical realm, but he understood the spiritual dimension. Now, some of us have gotten it. We know that while we live and exist in the sphere of the physical, we are also coexisting with the spiritual dimension. Among us right now in that realm we call the Spirit are angels who worship God as well as God's people. So we have the sovereign Lord as the object of our worship. Second in category, all of God's angels. All of God's angels. The angels who do not walk by faith. The angels who see God by sight in that limited dimension by which they comprehend the invisible God by the visible God and the power of God's Spirit. You guys understand what I mean? They are all aiming towards one throne. And what is revealed in that one throne as God is the second person, the Lord Jesus, by which the first person who is invisible is made known so that all the angels of God worship the Father through the Son as we ought to do. All the angels of God are being called by David to do what? Bless the Lord. Kneel before your maker. Acknowledge him as sovereign. Isn't that amazing? A little help for you worship leaders. You better call on the angels to help you worship. Since we all live together in the family of God, celestial and terrestrial. And so when real worship is taking place, God is having his host to worship him first in the dimension of the celestial, as we see in verse 20. Bless the Lord, ye angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. This is how an angel is described. We'll make an application and keep moving. What is an angel? He's a servant of God that does God's bidding. 
had a person write me an email about three months ago when I was unpacking Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 10, and um, Ezekiel 11 around the cherubim. Remember that? We dealt with the four living creatures. And I said that metaphorically or typologically or spiritually, the four living creatures represents the ministers of the gospel, i.e. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And all believers are angels. Do you believe that? All believers are messengers. We are not celestial per se, but we are messengers nonetheless. If the definition of our text follows, watch this now, ye angels that excel in strength, that do his what? Doing what? Hearkening to the voice of his word. Does God strengthen his people? Do they do his commandments? Do they hearken to his voice? Are we not called to tell men and women about the glory of God in Christ? Are we not called to do the bidding of God? Does not God literally in the scripture call us angels? Do you know your Bibles? And almost all leaders in the church of God are called angels, whether the Old Testament or the New. You heard it this morning. The seven angels or the seven churches were the ministers of those churches. I don't look like it, but I'm God's angel. That's exactly right. That's right. And whenever God sends you to tell somebody about Christ and you obey them, you're God's angel too. You guys understand that? It's nothing but a messenger. But those celestial angels worship God emphatically and they worship him radically as we ought to as well. Now notice what he does. He not only acknowledges God as the object of worship, he not only calls upon the angels, and in our text, I call them what? In your outline, what do I call them? The elect angels. Do you see that? Because Paul has elucidated for us in 1 Timothy 5.21 that the only angels since the fall of Satan and that host of angels that departed with him, that obey God, are called elect angels. First Timothy chapter 5, 21, please. The only angels that obey God right now are the elect angels. Paul speaking to Timothy said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus and the what kind of angels? What kind of angels? Right. See, so you need to know that there is a corresponding parallel between the unseen world of those who obey God and the seen world of those who obey God. Y'all follow that? In other words, the only people that are kept by the power of God are the elect. Whether it be angels or whether it be men. Whether it be angels or whether it be men. For angels are, are beings who possess moral culpability. They are beings who are volitional in nature and they are obligated to obey God's word. Are they not? And where they sin and rebel against God, ladies and gentlemen, please hear me on this point. There is no forgiveness for them. They are cast out, cast down, and perish into Taurus under the wrath of God. Whereas God's elect, you and I, there is forgiveness with God that he might be feared on our part. This is why the angels that have kept their first estate said, What is man that you are mindful of him, that you would visit him by way of the incarnation, take on their nature, take on their rebellion, take on their sin in order that they might dwell with you forever. You're forgiving them. Why won't you? They didn't say that. <laughs> but it could be implicated. The only reason they didn't because they happy that they didn't fall. And you ought to be happy too that God kept you from falling to present you before the presence of his glory. 
I charge you before the Lord Jesus, before God the Father and the Lord Jesus and the elect angel that you observe all these things without preference, one before the other, doing nothing by partiality. The same commandments given to the preacher is given to the angel of God. The same commandment given to us is given to you, saints of God. We have a wonderful companionship in the angels, do we not? But I want you to mark now under our first point, the exaltation of his reverent person, his sovereign glory. Point number three, the elect what? Saints. Look at point verse 21. Bless ye the Lord, all his what? Oh, there we go. I assert to you that God's host is God's people. Oh yeah, he has a host in heaven, but are you not the host of the Lord? Are you not that body of God's uh, servanthood by which we serve God both as an army and a body of worshipers? Notice what he goes on to say. Not only are ye his hosts, but ye what? Ministers of his that do his what? For me, this is a Hebrew parallelism. Verse 20, dealing with the celestial hosts. Verse 21, dealing with the earthly hosts of God's elect. Can you see it? I'm part of God's host. I hope you are too. God has a host of people out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. From the beginning of time, God has always had a people that would worship him. He has always had people whom he has preserved and revealed himself to and made himself known to. Are you one of them? You know you are because among that host, you have the blessed privilege of ministers who declare the glory of God in the person of Christ to lead you into worship. Aren't you blessed? When God in his mercy draws you into his presence by the gospel of his glory, and you know that you are hearing a right from God's word relative to who God is, I submit to you then what David is doing in verses 19 through 22 is showing us what it looks like when all of God's elect are brought in, angels and men, angels and men. And then he calls upon us for a third category to consider. Do you notice what it says? The whole creation. Look at what he says now in verse 22. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Do you see it? You notice what David did? He started with God as the object. And then he told everything, everything in the universe, from angels to his elect people to everything that God made to do what? Bless the Lord. Do you know how the Psalms closes? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Let me share with you what David is doing. David, by the Spirit of God, is forecasting that eschatological completion that we see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Revelation 4, 11 tells us that God created all things, and for his pleasure they are what? Created. This is Catechism 101 for those of us who know our Bibles. God made everything, did he not? And what did he make it for? His own glory. Well, time permits us to go no further. You have been listening to Way of Grace, the daily radio ministry of Grace Bible Church in Hayward, featuring our teacher and pastor, Pastor Jessica Stand. It is our prayer as we come to you daily on this broadcast that you're growing in grace, that you're growing in your love and adoration of Jesus Christ. That's the goal and the intent here at Way of Grace, that we might understand the amazing love of God in Christ. If you would like to obtain a copy of today's program, you've got a couple of ways you can do that. CDs are $5. Simply call or write to us and we'll send one to you. Or 
If you're internet savvy, simply stop by our website and you can download the audio file in MP3 version, and that one's free. Grace-Bible.com is our website. That's Grace-Bible.com. And again, if you're willing to write to us or contact us by phone, if you would like the CD, simply do so at 510-886-9782. Again, that phone number is 510-886-9782. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street. That's here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. And again, remember, the CD is $5, or simply stop by grace-bible.com and download the MP3 version for free. We would also invite you to join us for worship here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Sunday services are at 11 a.m., Sunday schools at 10 a.m. And don't forget, from a variety of churches and from all over the Bay Area, we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word Friday evenings here at Grace Bible Church at 8 p.m. For the directions and the details, simply go to our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com, or call 510 886-9782. Also, as the Lord leads, we're able to come to you here on KFAX in part through your financial and prayerful involvement with this ministry. Now, while it's free for you to listen to, it does incur a cost on our end, and we look to the Lord for His gracious provision. And if you would like to participate in that, then please do get a hold of us. Any donation, no matter how big or small, is greatly appreciated here at Way of Grace. 510-886-9782 is our phone number. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless.